Well, cool, man. I appreciate you hanging out. I know it's probably getting late over there, huh? Uh, nine o'clock. Okay. Where, where are you at exactly? Uh, Goshen, Indiana. Oh, right on. Okay. Think Notre Dame. Yeah. 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 Okay. It's always interesting to me hearing how different auto shops function in different parts of the country because it's oh, yeah. kind of all the same, but different. <laughs> <laughs> Average, like like our, our hourly labor rates. And I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm right. So, but it's not as much as like the housing is differently, right? Like you look at the cost oh, of housing wow. or the, house, the cost of living. It's like our labor rate doesn't reflect that much differently across the country. Yeah. We're maybe 20 or $30 more on average, but the average house is a couple hundred thousand more, you know? So <laughs> it's like, I, you got a lot of catching up to do. I actually looked at comparables in your city and for what you guys are getting for 800,000, I can buy for two fifty. Right. And right. four years ago, that same house was a hundred thousand here. So it's nuts. Yeah. It's so it's double. It's doubled for you, but it's still not. Yeah, we're the still highest line. a third of what you are. Right, and then for your like your income, what's like your average repair order? What do you? Uh, right now, our we are just strictly American and Asian, no European, nothing like that. Our, our average repair order has been right at 500 bucks. Okay. Okay. So it's not bad. Right. So, I mean, on the grand scheme of things, it's, yeah. I mean, they said the ratio between what you can get paid to live where you're at versus, you know, out in California is like, it's just, there's such a huge divide, you know, <laughs> like, yeah, you're making a couple hundred bucks less per average, say per average repair order, but, yeah. uh, <laughs> the cost of housing is a couple hundred thousand less. So it's, uh, it's amazing. Like, yeah, I love yeah. it here, but it's definitely hard to look at the numbers and realize like, oh man, it is expensive. <laughs> and then trying to hire technicians and then pay them enough so they can actually live here too. That's, it, it's a challenge. It's one- one thing I thought was kind of weird, I got some friends in L.A., and when I went out and visited, because uh, I did the drive uh, or management success back in the day, so I had some friends out there, so I was checking out auto shops and what everybody paid, and, you know, their $600,000 house, I'm like, dude, I just paid eighty grand for the same thing, but yeah. the guys out there aren't making any more money than we are, Right. and he said the way they do the loans out there, they make it to where... His house payment was, you know, mine was like nine hundred. His was only like eleven hundred. I don't get that, but yeah, the interest. Huh? Was, yeah, it was weird. Definitely interesting. Different. Well, starting off, we'll do the introduction. I'm I'm pretty bad at that. So let's start by <laughs> giving yourself an introduction. <laughs> uh, my name is Jeremy Hostler. Uh, been an auto tech since we'll say the mid '90s. Been working on cars since the early '90s. Uh, I've owned two shops. Uh, built them up, sold them both. Uh, right now I'm shop foreman over at uh, another shop here in town. And like most people, I got frustrated a couple times and took some time off from the auto biz for a while. But it's just a passion. You just can't get away from it. I just love it too much. Yeah, it keeps pulling you back in. Well, let's get into that. How did how did the starting go? Where, where did you kind of get started with in, in kind of the industry? Uh, my first official job, uh, I actually was in 1994 in a little tire, not a little tire store. It's a big tire store around here, but 
I started busting tires, just a monkey making $4.35 an hour, you know, and tried to work my way up, did tires for two years, tried to get in the service department. Uh, back then it was, it was hard. Was that it's, what you always kind of wanted to get to was up into the service department? Yeah, that, that's been that my dream to work on cars. I'm, I'm what you call a car guy. I live, breathe, eat cars. I have like 13 of them. Half of them are junk, but. I just love cars. Everybody yeah, I hope you were going to say they, all, they, they, they don't all run, right? <laughs> no. Right, no. <laughs> I think we're I all there, stuff. you know. Like, yeah. you know. If I had time and money, I could make some really nice stuff, but <laughs> right. two things are kind of hard to come across. Yeah, that's true. So, yeah, so, so that, that was kind of like your goal was to get in, get in and get into the service department. Oh, yeah. In my mind, I thought I was pretty decent. I mean, I cha- I've been changing engines since I was 13. Uh, I did swaps every weekend that's all i did and then i remember the boss in the service department one day i'm like hey i want to go back there he's like hey do some breaks show me you can do them i'm like oh heck yeah i had an 83 firebird with a 406 down in it so i pull it in and you know i throw some brake pads on there and i'm done in like 15 minutes he comes over he looks at it, he says i'll never hire you wow like, what <laughs> look how fast i did it he's like no we don't do we don't do fast so it took me almost a year to convince him to put me on the lube rack and then go back and slowly do a couple little things. And then okay. I went from there to Northwestern University in Lima, Ohio, did the automotive training, the business training and all that. And then when I went back, he gave me a shot on the alignment rack. So I had two alignment racks and, you know, just an alignment flunky. Couldn't change no parts, just alignments. But the guy was OCD so bad, like everything had to be exactly perfect, but it ended up being the best thing for me because every alignment had to be dead on. I, mean, I feel like so that, that, I feel like a lot of people getting in the industry, uh, whether you're young or middle-aged or old, get in the industry and that pushes a lot of people away. Yeah, having somebody, was, having someone stand over them and say, hey, you can't, that can't leave like that. That can't be like that. What? I can't just do whatever I want, you know? It's in the green. So, <laughs> I think that's like a good, I mean, yeah, it, it, I think it sets the good standard of like where to start from, but it also is like crucial in like how to stay in the industry because you're going to get beat. You're going to get beat up a lot, right? Like you're going to get oh, stuff yeah. that's not right. You're going to have misdiagnosis. And it's like, if you don't have, when you have a starting point like that, where someone's constantly, I don't know what the word for it is micromanaging i don't know call, call it micromanaging but just showing you the right way you know saying hey that's not right do it again and i think a lot yeah. of people are just like i don't want to i don't want to deal with this this is too hard you know <laughs> yeah, it, and if, it, if it you can hard. get through that you're going to be in it for the rest of your life you know yeah it was, it was hard because i had two racks but you know he wouldn't let me go he like you're going to master this and then you're going to move up then you're going to master that then you're going to move up so i would pull it in check it out Oh, these tie rods need something else. When the other guys come down, bust the parts on, I'd align it. You know, back then, like the record was 3000 a month. Like that's all the alignment rack made. It was almost a loser. Wow. So I was making seven bucks an hour. And he's like, you know, if you want to raise to nine bucks, like you got to, you got to really up it. Right. So I busted my butt. I was in 13, 15 alignments a day. And this is, you know, 39.95 alignment specials. So it got to where I was doing eleven thousand dollars in alignments. It's like I made nine bucks an hour. I'm like, yay! And then 
He let me from there. It was like, all right, now you're going to learn how to do a brake job. Now you're going to learn how to use a torch. Like he taught me all the basics. He was a, you know, I thought he was kind of a prick, but in the end, like it took me about a year to realize it, but he's probably one of the best teachers I ever had. Yeah. So it sounds like it's probably the best thing. Now yeah. the guys I have now, like they can't, they don't like it because I'm so anal about alignments. Like, no, green isn't green. It's gotta be right. We're going to wear tires out. And, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Just because the spec is like seven to 13 doesn't mean you send it at 13. Right. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Point three negative. Like, no, you can't. It's going to eat the, see the tires are already worn off on the inside quit. So yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, we did that. I did that for a while. Slowly got moved up. Uh, they had some big management changes and some other things. And it was like, I just, I couldn't take it no more. Uh, they, they come down pretty hard on the tech. So they had a bunch of guys leave. Uh, I actually left the industry for a little bit, went actually wiring houses for a short bit. So I still worked there in the tire department after my trailer factory job. Cause I'd be off at nine thirty, ten 10 o'clock. So I would get 40 hours part-time at the tire store. So I had two paychecks going. And when they changed all the management, I got right back in it. was there forever after that. It was it was quite a long time. Yeah, I think there's a good correlation of techs that end up going into the construction, construction industry because I think we're all kind of plastic in that way and pretty hands-on, <laughs> especially electrical. I mean, if, if you can't wire a house, I don't know if you should be messing with you know, an electric car, nonetheless, just anything 2010 or newer, right? Like you should have a pretty good concept of AC, DC voltage, you know? <laughs> I yeah, mean, maybe yeah. not full on wirehouse, but you should be able to put a, an outlet in or a light switch, you know, you should, you should <laughs> know what, you know, positive and negative is. Right. And that's pretty easy to, to, to correlate. But th- yeah. so from that tire shop, did you move into owning, owning a shop or you stay stuck it out as like kind of a manager role there? Well, I stayed there and then uh, September 11th happened. And at that time, I was back in the service department. I went back full time. Uh, I was on track. I had a contract with them to make 52000 a year, which was, you know, the $100,000 number now. fifty two grand in 2000, 2001. You, were, you made it. So yeah. I was only at like twenty nine thirty thousand 30000 come that September. So the boss was looking at write me a pretty good check at the end of the year if it didn't come up. And then when that happened, we were all in the, I was actually writing service too on my own and for another guy in the shop. And when that happened, business just dropped. I mean, it hit the floor for us. We went from having a record month to two days later, there was, we didn't work on a single car for almost seven days. Wow. It was bad. So at that point, it got kind of rough, and another shop kind of headhunted me. Is so I went over there, did that for a while, and me and the that's where I learned the the finer side of the diag. So we had a Master Tech fifty two hundred lab scope, and I learned ignition patterns, and I mean the the hard stuff. So it was full time diag there, and then me and the boss had a falling out one day at lunch. Uh, I went to lunch. I'd already turned like 13 hours by lunch. I was killing it. But I left at lunch at 1230, come back at 115. And oh, man, you don't get out of that time. So we got a little argument. I said, I'll do it myself. I'll start my own shop. So 
I walked out and three weeks later, I bought another shop that had been in town forever that had closed down. He had retired. So I got it and started from the ground up. Empty building and an air compressor. So that was probably not the smartest thing to do, you know, because I thought. Take, take oh, some cojones, man, you know. <laughs> I, I wrote service. I know all the numbers. I know how to run a business. This is easy. Yeah. Oh. That well, so if you don't, stupid. if you, if you don't think of it like that, you probably would never have done it. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we all think it's easy. Now, we all think it's easy. Otherwise you don't even start it, you know? <laughs> yeah. That, that was a rough one. So I started out and the first I done run pretty much everything in two weeks out, like all my friends, all my family, like I had done tapped everybody out, didn't have advertising budget. Shop was not even on a main road. We're talking behind a couple stores off the main road, no advertising. Google couldn't find it. There wasn't really internet popular back then. So I started it. And then one of the guys that was the head Diag Tech where I was at, I convinced him, like, hey, let's be partners. Let's move in. You can be the Diag Tech. I'll run office, bust out the hard stuff. And that's how it started. And within the first month, we almost went under. I mean, it, it was burnt through all the money I had saved up because you think, oh, psh, I got money. This will last. And then you see shiny things like, oh, wow, look at that tool. Oh, we need this tool. We need that tool. Oh, we need stock. We need this. And I just spent my way to where I just didn't have anything. I was broke. And all the cars would pretty much burn up. But then I just started reading everything I could about advertising and marketing. I was putting flyers on people's cars. I was handing out business cards. I was going door to door. And then I got the newspaper to do an article on us with the old owner as kind of a handing over the business, that kind of thing. And then we just yeah, started from there. Yeah. Uh, it was instantly, we were busy. We were busy for two years. So the, the, the owner before you, I guess he was well established in the community. Then. Oh, yeah. Okay. His family had been in the, in this town doing something since the forties. They'd always yeah. owned gas station service. You know, they were, that, all that was a pretty, yeah, that's, that's a pretty good pivot there. That's pretty smart. I don't think a lot yeah. of people think something like that, but it's, you're looking for like a billboard, right? Or like the, yep. the banner on the back of a plane, right? Or like a big radio yeah. ad or a TV commercial. And it's like, it's amazing how something like that, just a newspaper article, right? Yeah. With a little bit of community support. And it's like, that's all it took. And it's like, it's amazing how like the small things like that just make the biggest difference, especially with marketing. It's, it's yeah, very interesting. Cause I didn't know, I thought I knew, but I was completely wrong on marketing. I was so far out of, out I think of we're all, I think we're all wrong every month. <laughs> that <we> <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's it's not tough, working man. anymore. Yeah. Oh, it's like, Oh yeah, this is great. And then you do all these things and then you get so busy that you just stop handing out flyers. You stop, one door to door, you know, you quit the BNI group, you quit the business development group, you stop all these things because I'm too busy for that. Absolutely. And then three months later, you're going, oh crap, what do I do? Then you try to do it all over again. Oh, this doesn't work. That doesn't work. And then three months down the road, it finally catches back up. Yeah. It was hard, hard lesson for me to learn to just you get your foot in it, keep it down, pedal the metal, keep the marketing going because if not, you just, you make your own highs and lows. I think I, I hear that. I, really I, I hear that so much. Like people ask me, Hey, what do you do for, Oh, how much do you spend? And you know, Oh, I'm, I'm so busy. I don't, I don't need to do any of that. 
like the slow time the slow time's coming it's not a matter yeah. of like if but when right and it's like some of us hit it a little harder than others oh, you know but it's just amazing to me like exactly what you said is like oh i'm so busy i don't i don't need to do that anymore it's like oh, yeah they said the commute the, the the chamber of commerce meetings you know like we still go to them and we see other shops in the area they like, have hey, we never see you guys at the at the commerce you know they give out free beer and food you know for one <laughs> for one that's a positive yeah, like i don't, don't need to market i'm so either. busy i don't yeah i don't i know everybody is like well you're either not charging enough or you're yeah. just you're on a house of cards you know it's like because it's just a matter of time and, it, and yeah. it's funny you brought that up yeah yeah, one of my biggest mistakes was uh, we had the news, the phone book guy come in, did the whole spiel with the phone book, and it's like, you know what? The newspaper article worked good. The phone book is what everybody's using. So I had spent a hundred thousand dollars, signed this big contract with them, full page. We got one phone call, one. That was it. Oh, that was a that was a hard check to write every month for this thing where it's like one call. Yeah. Wow. It, it, that about that about broke us. The phone Get book. It. I forgot about that. Oh yeah. <laughs> that was a big thing. I mean the internet wasn't really Right. It just wasn't there yet, you know, different time. And you know, I tried the phone book and we did some radio ads and we did some other things. And it's like it just wasn't quite there. And then when I'm, we were struggling. It was back to the basics. I took a card and I hand out two cards to everybody. Like, boom, here, please hand it, give it to somebody you know that needs something. And yeah. slowly worked it back up. It was rough. Yeah, the, uh, like you look at any marketing books from like, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago, maybe 15 years ago. And like step one, phone book ad. That was marketing yeah. 101. Get yourself maybe. in the phone book. You know, in your business, a a a something like that, like right, so. right. <laughs> <laughs> the old marketing tactics that don't work anymore, and it's like we started out with no. talking about marketing. It's like you do these things and then you stop, then you go back to how you start it, and it's like that don't work anymore. That was four years ago. You can't do that anymore. That doesn't work. <laughs> you can't get out of the phone book. Don't waste your money. You know, but and yeah. it's like print print advertising still it's coming back it's big it's not it's it's so hard to say where to put your money when you're talking about marketing when you're first opening a shop but obviously the best is the word of mouth right so i'm assuming you yep. probably built up a pretty good clientele after that yeah it was a lot of a lot of word of mouth flyers handing stuff out um now the management companies that we got with the first one with management success i don't know if you want me to say their names on the oh i don't care on the pocket okay yeah, but no, we what, what, yeah, drop names because that's what helps people out, you know, if they're starting yeah. out or looking for somebody different or new. Yeah, yeah. and uh, went out there, did their training. Uh, really, from that point on, we doubled. I mean, it was it was great. It was fantastic. But it just come a time where after so long, it's almost like we outgrew them and we knew everything they knew. So, and then, you know, us being still younger, oh, yeah, we know it all. We can do this all ourselves. And then took the foot off the pedal, let it ride for a while, and then dropped them, did okay for a while, and then 08 hit and just destroyed everything in our business again. Our town had a 24% unemployment rate, everything went down, and first thing we do is pull back advertising, pull back marketing, pull back all that stuff, trying to save money, and that was pretty dumb thinking about it now, but... Back then, like it was, it was rough. I got a 
working third shift for another friend plus doing the shop just to, so I wouldn't have to take a paycheck, so I wouldn't have to lay anybody off. It got, it got a little scary there. So this, at this time you had some technicians and some staff? Yep. It was uh, There was three of us on the – well, two of us in the front, three technicians, bays were full, you know, but we had guys that were driving quite a distance. So, you know, the gas went up. It just wasn't worth it. So we ended up losing our main uh, – I call him the main old guy, you know, the guy that could fix anything. Not the fastest, but, you know, there was no comebacks. He was great. We ended up losing him. Uh, but luckily, I'm a big efficiency guy, so the shop was running 125% efficient when we had the work. So luckily, you know, our B-Tech could just crank out 60 hours, 70 hours a week, no problem. And then I could always turn a bunch of hours. So it kind of helped. I mean, there was a lot of times I was working till two, three, four in the morning, taking a nap in a car, getting up, doing it again, just so we didn't lose it. I mean, wow. It was, it was a struggle. Yeah. It was I mean, really rough. I feel like that probably hits home for a lot of people because they're probably in that situation right now. Or I don't, you don't really go looking for help until you're really drowning, right? Like no one looks for help. No one advertises when you're busy, right? So no one looks yeah. for help when it seems like everything's going <laughs> well, but it's, it's, it's very relatable. I think to everybody in that kind of situation that, and, you, and in a sense, you're still just kind of digging digging yourself a hole, right? I mean, because yeah. you're not like the business isn't building. You're just sustaining. You're just surviving. It's a tough situation yeah. to be in, man. Yeah, it was it was rough. And then I uh, went to another coaching company. It's like, man, uh, it was I had already set once my shutdown date. Like once before it was like, dude, we're done. Like after this date, I'm closing down on the 16th. And it was like the 14th. Some of the things I had done just started working with the marketing and then boom, we were back up. And I was down to that point again where, you know, we're just got to close the doors. You know, here we got a business that's doing $700,000 with a three bay and we're barely making it. So it was back to another coaching company, which they again doubled once more. Just sometimes having that coach or somebody to, to just give you that push to do that thing that you're uncomfortable with. Like, but I know you're broke, but you need to do this advertising and you need to charge more because at the time I was one of the highest shops in town, but it still wasn't quite enough. And that somebody to tell you, Hey, I know you're the highest. You need to go up more. And you just start charging a little bit more doing a little bit more for your customers. And it was the little things we were missing out on, like follow-up calls and uh, scheduling out appointments for later down the road. It was amazing with just dumb little things you don't think of. Oh, that'll never work here. And yeah, it works. These coaches, they've seen hundreds or thousands of shops. They've been in every situation. They've seen this. You know, sometimes it was... Swallowing pride, quit being stupid and listen. Yeah, get lifting your head up a little bit because I think in that when you're in that mode or in that survival phase, you just got your head down oh. and you're just and you're just grinding, you know. And it's like until yeah. you look up and they call it the you know the thirty thousand foot view when you got to like step back and look back a little bit. And it's like you could almost coach yourself out of that situation if you could take a step back, but you can't. <laughs> That's why it's yeah. like to have a coach <laughs> step back and say, "Hey, look, dummy." 
it's right in front yeah. of your face and you're like, oh, wow, it was that easy? Just like you said, it's like, it's just the little tweaks and it's like the little things. It's amazing that you said about, about being the highest priced, but you still need to charge more because I think that's, that's critical too. And I think the funny thing is, is as you start making less money and you start getting more and more to the point of like losing it, that's the time you start charging less and less. And it's so strange how your mind works that way, but it's, it just happens. As soon as you get slow, as soon as the money stops rolling in, you start charging less. And it's like, and it's just like a perpetual cycle of going backwards, (laughs) but I I do it. I mean, I'm still guilty of it. We all do it, you know? And it's it's just amazing you say that because it's like, that is such a huge connection of like, yep. And then when you get busy, you're like, you start uh, throwing these big numbers out because you're trying to scare the clients away. You're like, I don't want to do this job. So you throw this massive number on it. And then they're like, yeah, let's do it. And you're like, oh my God. <laughs> it's just amazing how it works that way. Yeah, it's just amazing. Yeah. It's like you make less, so then you want to charge less, but you make more and you start charging more. It's like, it's so, the divide is, is uh, it's amazing to me how that how that works out. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was kind of rough because one of the things we did there for a while was we did something called a guaranteed diagnosis. You know, labor rates in our area were like 70 bucks. We charged $180. Like you bring your car in, we guarantee that we will diagnose the problem, the runs rough, the check engine light, all that stuff. It's guaranteed. It's 180 bucks. We'll guarantee you that we will be 100% correct or you don't pay. And then I like that. that. Is, it was a good idea, except for it brought in all the problem cars. And yeah. within a short time, we had the dealerships bringing us cars going, hey, we can't figure this out. And, you know, then you're three, four, five hours where before you're hour, hour and a half in, you figured it out. And then you get some real butt kickers. And it was like, yeah, maybe we gotta dial this back down and start going to like charge an hour by the hour for what we do. Oh yeah. But yeah guaranteed yeah. diagnosis was a pretty decent thing, but we didn't have CAN bus issues. You don't have oh GDI. You don't have so many different things that you do now. Like it would be hard to do, but if somebody's really good, I think you could do it. Like, well, I like how you, ticker. yeah, I like how you provided the quality behind that service. I think the the wording behind it, I'm not 100 percent behind. Like the guaranteed anything and the diagnostics, I've never been a fan of. I'm all advanced assessments. Let's ins- let's yeah. do an inspection. I'm not diagnosing it. We're just we're just doing some tests and procedures to verify yeah. what's wrong, right? So, but backing what you're doing with that quality assurance is what I liked about that of like, Hey, bring it in. And yeah, we're, we're twice as much as anybody in the area, but we're going to provide you a service. We're not just going to, pro- yep. you know, throw guesses and a parts cannon at it. So it's like, yeah. And, and it yeah. just, and that's another thing where it's like, if you just maybe throttled into that, yeah, for this vehicle, because it's coming from the dealership and you guys are supposed to be the experts here, <laughs> it's going to be like 360 bucks. You know what I yeah. mean? And it's like, how many shops has it been to? Okay, so it's 180 for each other shop. It's been like, <laughs> so we're, we're starting at like $500 for me to look at this thing. And it's like, you just got to step into that and just keep going forward. But it, it's always tough to to say you're guaranteeing anybody anything, especially on a diagnostic, but... Oh yeah. I mean, it's, well, it's, it was, it's a good pivot to try to like bring in that quality, you know, cause you don't want this. The, what's the other side of that equation? You get just the oil changes and the people that you do these inspections and, and they all the stuff that they work, they need done and they don't want to do any of it. And it's like, no, I want the ones that are willing to spend some money to fix their car. Right. Yeah. And of course yeah. there's, you know, that back problem then, too. But Back then, 2000s, there wasn't a whole lot of DVIs. I mean, 
ours wasn't digital, but everything was on paper. I had a sheet, everything checked out, and we did things that customers didn't see, like, hey, come on out, take a look. Things that we take for granted now, but back then, nobody was doing that. Nobody's doing, like every day I got a fuel pump waveform, I got a relative compression test, battery test, alternator test, like all these papers, we'd give them like a small booklet with their with the repair, like here's what you paid for. And it built a lot of trust and built a lot of long time, very so, reliable. So on that, what, what's your thought process when, so I like that, like that's like jumping in the fuel pump waveform, right? You put a new fuel pump yeah. in, you spend the time to do the waveform, you print it out, you hand it to them. They look at it, they're like, what are these squiggles? Why are you handing yeah. me this? Right? And so yeah. a lot of guys are like, why do you spend the time doing that? Just put the fuel pump in. It's, it's got a warranty. If it fails, just have them come back in. And it's like yeah. you're stamping it with your quality assurance. Like, look, we put a Delphi fuel pump in. This is the difference. And you can show them, you know, the cheap eco, yeah. whatever fuel pump versus the Delphi. You're like, look at the waveform. See how much better that is. But I feel like a lot of people, clients, you know, when they bring the vehicle in, they don't know. They're not technicians. So yeah. what's kind of your thought process behind that? Uh, back then nobody was doing it. So I was trying to push technology and stuff like that. Uh, it was just, I could show them, here's the, did you get a lot of good positive results out of it? Like speaking to a oh, client that yeah. way, they liked it. Huh? Oh yeah. Cause you know, back then every GM needed a fuel pump. I don't care if you drove it in, it probably needed a fuel pump anyways. Yeah. So it didn't matter what it came in for. We were doing a fuel pump wave pattern. Like, look, this thing's drawing freaking 30 amps. Your pump's gonna die. Like it's on the way out. And even something as simple as a blower motor, when you show them, you know, a waveform, here's the com commutator, here's, you know, you should have eight humps. See that one? It's like 40 miles higher than the other ones. You know, it was just a good way to, to sell things, I thought. Yeah. Now I don't see as many fuel pumps. So doing a fuel pump waveform on stuff's kind of went by the wayside. And, you know, a little different than what it used to be. But back then it was a good thing to get into. Oh, yeah. I, I can still see that being, I mean, rolling right into like EVs and hybrids now. You got electric motors. It's important to understand these waveforms for anybody that's not technically savvy when it comes to using a scope. But yeah. being able to relay that to the client and say, hey, look, I know you're going on a big trip. Your fuel pump's got maybe six months left, right? Or your yeah. blower motor or whatever. I mean, it's it's a smart way to market that quality assurance. and. Yep. And it's easy with, with, you know, with a scope and an amp clamp. Oh, yeah. A little jumper <laughs> wire underneath the fuel pump fuse right there. Boom. Put your amp clamp on there. You know, five seconds. I mean, it's fast. Of course, they're a little bit easier to get to some things back then. But, you know, well, was, we, we still nice see the cars from the 2000s. You know, a lot of people are think, and here in, in our town, maybe just California in general, um, especially this, I'm in a small rural town. So, you know, it's, we got a pretty good community here, but everyone wants, doesn't want to buy a new vehicle. They want to keep their old ones. A lot of ranchers yeah. around here, a lot of cattle, you know, trucks, old trucks. And so buying a new vehicle, buying a new truck is like not an option. So they're dumping ten, fifteen thousand $15,000 into these older vehicles, 2000, 2005 vehicles that are 10, 15, 20 years old. Cause they don't want to buy a new one and they don't want all that fancy new stuff. Like, <laughs> like I don't, I don't want $10,000 of other stuff to break on the vehicle besides yeah. the engine and transmission, you know? So <laughs> yeah, it's like, they don't want it. Like, like I just, I'd rather just invest my money and keep this old one on the road. So, but yeah, it just lends back to the fact of like, as these vehicles get older and get more miles on them, 
starting to see problems that we've never seen before. It's like, I've, well, yeah. this vehicle's just now turning 30 years. There hasn't been a, this vehicle on the road in 30 years because now it is 30 years old. So <laughs> we're going to see problems <laughs> that we've never seen before. So, I mean, that's a good way of, of, of marketing too. Like that's just a good way of, of promoting that extra bit of, uh, inspection process too. Like I like that a lot. That's a, uh, that's pretty, that's pretty clever to go through and, and show them that. I just was curious if clients picked up on it or if they're like, uh, what is this? What is this voodoo stuff? Like what, <laughs> what are you showing me these squigglies for? You know, I mean, did you get good, you got good feedback from the clients too? Oh, on it, yeah. Noah? They, they, they understood it. Yeah. Cause I always did the original and then after we would replace it, you do another one. So you'd have two and you compare them and like, Hey, here's this one. This one's running at 18 amps. This one's at six, you know, uh, you could see the really bad spot on the fuel pump. That's why it quit running and we had to smack the gas tank to get it to go. So it actually worked out really good. I, I love that. I love a DVI. That's probably my favorite thing on the planet because I, I, I write out books. I write out stories to customers and they can read it and they make it to where they can understand it. And I get good pictures, videos, like my DVIs will have 15, 20 pictures, four or five videos, and they can't dispute. Hey, yeah, you're right. That rim is bent. That tie rod is loose and just makes them feel a little bit better. Like, Hey, I've never seen that before. Right. So yeah, no one's done somebody's that. Somebody's not doing a DVI. They are missing out on the greatest thing you know, since an oscilloscope. Oh yeah. That's the easiest way of building trust and building. I mean, that's what it is, is transparency. You don't get more transparent than, Hey, your tire rod is bad. Why do you say that? Look at this video. Clunk, clunk, clunk. <laughs> yeah, See it? I took it to this shop and they said it was tight. Uh, no, show them the video and see if yeah. they've seen that. <laughs> I'm not saying anybody's lying, but yeah. here's the video. You can make the, you can make it for yourself. Come up to your own yeah. conclusion when it comes to that. <laughs> See the brake gauge? It says two millimeters. It's in the red. <laughs> it's not good. Yeah. Yeah. So with, with the shop after that, I mean, how, how did the rest of that go after 08? Were you able to climb back out of that or how did that end I up climbed panning back out? out of it? But uh, the stress, uh, everything else, uh, father-in-law ended up with cancer. Um, I was starting to have to be gone from the shop. I mean, we climbed back out. It was a little rough, but I just, I was just burnt out. Uh, I almost died, uh, bleeding ulcer in my stomach from the stress. And, you know, it was, I was like, yeah, I, I just got to quit. I got to, I got to get out and do something else for a while. So I, I lasted a little while after that. I ended up selling out to my partners, helped a, another friend uh, at his shop, did that for a while, but no stress. I didn't know nothing. I just came in. I fixed cars. I talked to customers. I sold jobs. I went home. It was great. Um, then the wonderful IRS bill came for settling out and all that other stuff because I didn't know when you sell a shop, uh, yeah, you got to pay taxes on all that money. <laughs> so I ended up trying to start another shop. Stupid mistake. Uh, my heart wasn't in it. And if you're trying to start a shop, you have to want to do it. You have to love to do it. You can't just do it just because, yep, I'm going to start a shop. I'm going to make a bunch of money. And my heart wasn't in it. I just gave up before I really started. I ran it for a while. Somebody came in, maybe another offer. I was out again. Just 
went to something completely different. I did garage doors. I did all kinds of different things there for a short bit. And then where I'm at now, he called, says, hey, I need a tech. You want to come in? So I came in, seen his shop, loved, the, loved where it was at, but I seen so much potential. I, lo- I love taking shops and taking them to the next level. So I started there, and within four months, I was shop foreman, and we just doubled and doubled and doubled and just went to the moon with it. That's awesome. So, so I was back in that again. So that was kind of good. I had this new new love for automotive again. Just got to actually fix cars and help customers and teach them how to schedule and change the way they did things. You know, that was great. Them guys were working till five, six, seven, nine o'clock at night on Fridays because they'd get everything in the week and then they try to get it all done on Friday. And it's like, no, we got to quit that. So I ended up getting that shop up in the 120% efficiency range again. Everybody was happy. It was great. Um, and then I got COVID. Oof. That was a, that was brutal. COVID took a lot out of me. Uh, I had some serious memory loss that, man, I couldn't remember song titles, lyrics, nothing. Like I forgot how to use a lab scope. Like I just felt stupid for a long time. I'm still, still struggling with it a little bit, but I'm trying to get back in and learn, but it feels like I'm got a slight learning disability now. So it's a little harder to get back in the game where, you know, for me to pick up lab scope, oh man, I love doing ignition patterns. You know, now I'm kind of struggling with it. Wow. So took a huge step back, huh? Yeah, it did, it did feel like a little. I lost a good bit of me when that happened. You know, wow. Well, other well, than the I, taste of the smell. Yeah. <laughs> I want to go back to like getting into that the fixing of the shop kind of take me through that process when you get in there what's kind of your first what do you look at first like how did how did you manage that shop to get it to that point of of where you have it now like how do you look at that you know that's that's the big one you get into a shop you buy one maybe you're taking one over or maybe you're just looking at your own and like where do i start and once you start it gets easy after that but it's like what's your first step when you kind of you started with your, with your friend shop there and you wanted to start turning the tables for him. You start looking at the text first. You start looking at the scheduling first. Like how, how does that work for you? Mine anyway, was, When I come in, um, I look for efficiency things, things you can do to make it more efficient. Um, how, what can we do that takes less steps? I like what I call penny parts. They were calling for a cotter pen. They were calling for, a drain plug, like little bitty penny parts that you, I think every shop should have on hand. Like you shouldn't have to, to walk all the way across the shop to get a cotter pin. So first thing I do is things to make the text a little bit more efficient. I make everybody a like fluids bucket. It's got your anti-seize, your Loctite, your brake lubes. Everybody has all the lubes and everything they need in a box, on their cart, or in their toolbox. I'm, I'm a big cart guy. So you can just wheel it around, walk it back and forth to your toolbox every time. It's just not efficient. So I worked on that part of efficiency, making the guys, that helped out a lot. Uh, I like setting shelves up above every tech's bay. 
So it has their oil drain, their antifreeze container, their washer solvent, rags, all the lubricants. Uh, instead of having everything in one central location, everybody has it right there. So at the end of the day, one guy can go around with a cart, load it up, stock all the shelves. Nobody has to walk away from their bay to do anything. Now, it wasn't my idea, but the owner ended up putting two, two screens and a computer in everybody's toolbox. So you had two screens. You look up your own parts. That was something else we implemented. The techs look up their own parts and build their own estimates. So that way, we had a lot of problems with the wrong parts. Uh, it was I, it was 145 inch wheelbase instead of 157 inch wheelbase. It was you know 12 inch rotors instead of 11 inch rotors. When the techs start doing that, they don't make that mistake. They see that there's two options and they go find out what it is or they pull it back in. So they did their own estimates. They're 100% right. And when the tech takes that up, all the service writers got to do is real quick, fast, look at it, make sure the prices are right. They set the prices, call the customer. Within five minutes, you're getting an approval before the tech even has it out of his bay. So you can start ripping stuff apart or you're moving on. And then the other thing was getting the guys to pull it in, do all the inspections first thing in the morning, check them out and get them out. You know, yeah. don't wait on the guys up front. Like, right. It's going to take you two minutes to set it back down, drive it out, grab the next one. You know, if it takes that guy five minutes, you just lost three minutes. So why lose three minutes? Because you're going to do that five times a day. So one of their other things was they just, yes, for everything. Bring the car in, bring the car in, bring the car in. So you would spend four days inspecting all these cars. And then you had guys would be at 10, 12 hours on Thursday. And then they would try to do 25, 30 hours on Friday to make up. And they got all these cars promised, but they didn't slow down and schedule the cars. So everything piled up and they got really hectic. Like there was no schedule. They didn't schedule it. They just, everything came in. It was like a big pile and just here, just go. It's like, yeah, sometimes you got to slow down to make it fast. Sometimes yeah, like, I like that. yeah, like starting with the with the tech efficiency and then the schedule. I feel like that would fix ninety percent of the shops out there. <laughs> they just learn oh, yeah. to to just be religious about the schedule. Be okay with having one slow day because you scheduled a little light, but it increases your efficiency, right? I mean, yep. yeah, you can't you can't have your technicians thinking about five other cars, you know, while they're working on one. They're just yep. nobody likes that. I don't like that. Wow. Nobody nobody likes that. <laughs> except if you're the I don't know, if you're the shop owner looking at your shop from the from your phone and you're like, Oh, we're so busy. Look at all the cars in the lot. <laughs> like, that's yeah, not good. Yeah. That's not what you want to see. Spaces, like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, let's get them out of here. Let's get them in, get them out. And that was the other thing. Like when they're done, like call. When you get an estimate, you call. My thing is I, I, I want to see five minutes from the time the tech hands that up. I want to I want them call. Try to get that soul. When the car gets done, call immediately. Get it out of here. Don't let these cars sit here and wait till the end of the day and then try to call 15 people all at once. Then you get this big, huge pile of people all at once. And then ask people to drop them off. 
quit telling them, oh yeah, I got a, I got an appointment at eight. I got something at nine. I got something at 10. Like, Hey, I can look at it today or tomorrow. If you drop it off, most people are glad we got right. a drop box, drop it off anytime you want. You can do it at midnight if you want. You know, most people try to, well, drop it off at eight, drop it off at nine. No, drop it off at one thirty in the morning. I don't care. It's here. My guy's going to start on it. I don't have to wait, you know, and the other thing is they wouldn't have anything ready for the guys. It'd be eight thirty, nine o'clock before the guys would get their tickets because you've got 15, 20 people up front and they're trying to check them in and everything and right. nothing's ready. It's just chaotic. So it was, let's make all the tickets up the night before, have everything ready and then have the key tags to where when the customer comes in, all you got to do is take your tag and tile, put your key tag on it. Boom, text gone. He's you don't have to do anything. Don't right. wait and greet all fifteen before you get something to do. Like just grab the one, walk out, grab the key tag, boom, tech knows it's here, go. Wow. And that's huge too, because that allows the service advisors to spend time with the client versus right. trying to rush them to get to the next one so they can get the tech busy, right? Yep. You got you got someone sitting there like, hey, can you just like you know, I just need your key so I can get this guy going. Like, no, like you said, get it ready the night before. You know what's coming in, what should be coming in. And it goes like yep. the follow-up text, like you said. Follow-up. We'll follow up the day before. Hey, are you coming in tomorrow? I sure am. All right. Everything's done. Oh, and yeah. it's like when they get there in the morning, here's what you're working on. Where's the car? It'll be here any minute. <laughs> and as yep. soon as it is, I'll hand you the keys and and you're you're off and running, you know? It, it's yep. just 8 30 in the morning. Like you need to be calling these people that ain't here yet. Are you yep. coming? Are you not coming? Let's get the no-shows figured out right off the Right off the get, gate, because most people won't call till four o'clock. Oh man, I got to reschedule. I got busy today, you know. And you already forgot about it. Now you're pissed off at them, so they can sense <laughs> that. So call them in the morning. Get them at eight thirty in the morning. Like get the guys going. Yeah. And for any shop owner, if you walk out in your shop and it's eight fifteen, your guys ain't working. You got some processes you need to work on. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. And whether it's getting more vehicles in or just dispatching them properly. I like what you said yeah. with the tech efficiency about having the buckets you give them and the and the baskets because we have meetings and maybe a lot of other people do. They, hey, what can we do to improve efficiency? And they all look at you like with, you know, stars in their eyes like, I don't know, everything's great. <laughs> you know, so it's really tough to even ask them or know. And I mean, that's a good insight because it's it's something simple and it's, it's all about those simple yeah. things. Like what do they spend time looking for? Well, once they're done looking for it, they're not thinking about it again. So you ask them at the end of the week, hey, anything we can move around or change to make you make you a little more efficient? They're like, no, week went fine. <laughs> like little, <laughs> little they know they spend an hour every day searching for a can of brake clean or brake, yeah. disc brake lube or whatever. The the small $5 thing that just cost the shop $80 that week, you know? Oh, yeah. One of the things that they did that uh, they didn't have any buckets or drain pans. Like literally brake flush was open the bleeders, pump it up, throw it on the ground, throw some floor dry down. I mean, we would go through pallets of brake of uh, floor dry a month. Wow. Like $1,700 worth of floor dry over this stuff. I'm like, you realize a $4 pan and these guys are doing this, the floor's cleaner. All of a sudden the shop's cleaner. Like these guys are a lot more efficient. Like, hey, this is nice. I don't have to drag brake fluid all the way through the shop. Like, you know, they take a water pump loose and smack it with a hammer. There goes three gallons on the floor. Just throw some floor dry down. Like, no, let's catch this stuff. Let's, yeah. you know, 
come on guys, like break clean. Like, Oh, it was, it was brutal for a while. It's just getting the right. Yeah. I can see that. I'm I'm definitely getting, definitely getting the visual, you know, like that, that sounds, uh, that kitty litter stuff. I hate it. We, we had a shop (sighs) a long time ago that I was at and it was just like that. It was like everywhere. It's like you open one bag of that and it's there for the rest of the year. Cause you'll pull yes. crumbs of it from your socks and from the, the, around the, the, the floor jacks and the, and the lifts. And it's like, how does this, it's everywhere. Yeah. And then as soon as the air compressor kicks on, it shakes the walls a little bit. It looks like it's snowing. Like, yeah, uh, guys. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's just little things like that. Like finding the shop in the shop. I like to take a start to finish on a job. Like from the time the service rider gets it, where does he go? where the tech has to walk up to get the keys out to the car, test drive, pull it in his bay. If he's doing an oil change, does he got to walk over here and here and here? And, you you know, you can write some of these down and follow a path to each job and go, oh, man, that is so stupid. If we move that barrel to the other side of the shop, you know, I'm cutting 30 seconds at a time out. And I'm taking guys that were turning 32 hours. All of a sudden, they're 50-hour guys. Like, oh, yeah, you're a rock star. No, you're just not wasting any time. So it's efficiency, I think, is probably the biggest killer of anything. Everybody says, raise your rates, raise your rates. If you get your efficiency up, <laughs> that's 90% of your problem. Like, yeah. it ain't always your rates. It's being the most efficient. Like, yeah, I mean, ra- ra- raising your rates definitely changes the – your percentage of efficiency, right? So if you yep. pay your tech a certain amount, you need to make a certain amount to have your your ratio be correct, your percentage being correct. So <laughs> you can yeah. either get more dollar per hour out of every hour he's there or she's there, or you raise your rate and then the ratio stays the same. But like you said, if you can correct a few things just by moving a barrel or moving a drum, this sounds a lot easier than trying to squeeze another, you know, 90 bucks or 120 bucks out of a five hour job. You know, yeah, and end up losing it to the guy down the street or something like that. So, yep, yeah, yeah. It's just all about efficiency. Work on efficiencies first. Uh, standard ops operating procedures, man, they're just so fantastic. You know, if everybody knows what you're supposed to do and you do the same thing every time, it's so much easier. Yeah, like I, I had I had them, but I never wrote them down. So to work at a shop that. You know, we're still working on them. I'm still working on them, getting them wrote down. Job descriptions, big thing. You know, knowing what what is your job? What do you expect of that guy? Like, you can't be mad at that guy because he turned you 47 hours when you think he should do 50. Like, if you expect 50, tell him you expect 50. But don't be mad at him because he's only doing 47. You know, right. he thinks it should be 40. Yeah, yeah, that's a good way to put it too. You know, he feels like he's he's excelling, and you're upset. And uh, talk about breeding a bad culture. I mean, <laughs> no one's happy in that situation. Why are you so mad at me, man? I'm I'm doing I'm doing better than I than I should be. And it's like, like, well, you should be doing better than that. Like, says who? Yeah, you never told I, me I, that. I remember the first time we had a 132 percent efficient week. I mean, it was a fantastic week, and they're coming out. Oh, you know, this number could be better. That number could be better. And I'm like, dude, I, we gave you everything. We left nothing on the table. Like there's no, there's no giving anymore. So sometimes it's just, all right, they gave everything they give. Yeah. Something might not be where it is. Let it slide. Just let it go. You know, when it's good, but don't expect 
50% when you're already getting 130. So that can be a little tough too. Yeah. A little difficult. Well, getting, getting down to the end of this thing, what, what, uh, as far as now you said, you've taken the role of, of the manager and obviously it's a lot less stress. Obviously it's tough to take that, stay out of the industry, right? You can't, yeah. you can't not do anything. I mean, you seem like yeah, you're pretty you, well. You love cars. It's hard yeah. to, it's hard to stay out of it. <laughs> I mean, what, what, what drives you the most though? What, 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 what keeps pulling you back in? If there's, if there's one thing. I like, I like the customers, but I don't like the customer side of it. Um, I'm a talker to them. Like I can, if customers pissed off, normally they're coming at me. I can normally calm them down, uh, get them back on my side. For me, it was efficiency. Like I like doing an eight hour job in four hours, you know, where it used to be, Oh man, I got a tough diag. I knocked it out of the park anymore. I don't care. Like if it's a really tough can bus, I got to give it to somebody else because he's going to do it faster. I don't need to be the hero, but you give me that 10 hours where the brake and suspension work and I knock it out in two hours. I don't know. I, I still get a high off that. You know, when I pull an alignment in and I adjust camber and caster and I get it done in seven minutes, like, oh yeah, that's, that's my, that's my jam right there. I love that. You know, I pull a tranny out in like 30 minutes. Like, heck yeah, I did that on my lunch. Mm. Yeah, no problem. Huh? Yeah, we, we, yeah, we started this with you, you really wanting to get into the transmission field. Yes. We were talking about when we first started here. What, what draws you into that? Because I don't know. I don't, I wouldn't put that evil on anybody, but <laughs> when you're talking about <laughs> building transmissions, man, oh man, it's a love hate well, relationship, but I don't know what, what, what draws you towards that? Uh, it's like in the nineties, it was like voodoo, like the trainee guys were the guys that were 50, 60 years old, sitting behind a bench, smoking cigarettes. Just they just slamming out trannies. I mean, they're busting a turbo three fifty out in two and a half hours. It's like, man, that's like eight hours. Like that is just so awesome. They just it's one after another, and just just watching how how it worked and the gears and the planetaries. Just you know, the tolerance have to be just right. It could let my OCD just go insane with. <laughs> yeah, that's nah, true. We ain't doing thirty-seven thousand, dude. That's thirty-five. It's on the money. Like, yeah, yeah, we're 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 miking things. I just something I've always wanted to do. I, I built a few, done done a few. I was really good at tranny diag back in the day. I mean, you give me a you know an eighteen seventy code on an old silhouette, man. Oh yeah, I know what pids I'm looking at. I could tell you where this converter the you know, TCC solenoid, like, yeah, I love that stuff. And it was just the, just the sitting there and taking something and being able to build it and start from scratch and just put it all back together with so many moving parts. Yeah. Like building engines, building trannies. That's just, them guys were the king of the crop in my eyes. Like the guys that built the trannies back in the day, they were the guys that we all looked up to in the industry that just, Man, it was. It's a it's a dying it's a dying breed to say the less. I mean, it's yeah. nowadays with everything out there, eight, nine, ten speeds. It's it's almost unrebuildable to an extent. Yeah. I mean, you can, but it's. 
I mean, I'm with you and that's, I took that road and I went that, took that challenge on and I'm like, I am going to be that guy. I, I know exactly yeah. what you, I know exactly what you're talking about. I was like, that's what I want to do. I want to be that guy. You know, I was a smog yeah. tech for a long time. I was like, no, nope, I'm going to build transmissions because that's the top, that's the hierarchy, you yeah, know, and then, that's and then, it, man. and then, and then now it's like, leave. now it's all gone, you know, all those four speeds, three speeds that were easy and it's all these eight, nine, 10 speeds is like, man, I can't build these things and be cost. Like you said, you, you pull the transmission out in 30 minutes. But you don't get charged, you know, you don't, you know, you don't get billed for 30 minutes, you get billed for your time. But it's nowadays yeah. with these transmissions, if I looked at building it and then look at the cost of just getting it remanufactured, it's like I can get the reman for less cost, you know, than it takes me yeah. to build a client for. Sure, I make my time, you know, building it, right? So there's that profit yeah. margin. But if you look at the percentages at the end of the day, it's like, wow, I'm only really like suffering like a 20% loss selling them a remanufactured and I don't have to do anything. <laughs> it's yeah. so hard yeah. to like as a tech yeah. and as a builder yeah. and then take as a shop owner, like I got to do the right thing. I can't have these guys waiting on me to build this thing, you know? And it's like only to, to suffer yeah. a 20% loss. Uh, you know what I mean? That's why it's, I got out of rebuilding rear ends. It's like, man, it's just so, I, I buy one, it's there three hours. It's in, it's done versus me. I'm, you know, meticulous. I'm spending six, eight hours on one. Yeah, you know, and all the parts and little things that go into it, and yeah, running your paint mark four or five times is like, oh man, that took all yeah. day. <laughs> yeah, and then you're buying bearings just to make setup bearings, and you're going through a bunch of different stuff, and then you get it done, you find out your brand new gear set makes noise. It's like, oh, so aggravating. Yeah, like, training guys, like when you're in uh, building the training, you know, it's a twenty percent loss, but then I look at. Okay, but I got that nine hours back. That guy can do two of them, so it's no longer a twenty percent loss because I can do twice as many. You know. Oh, correct. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 We don't we don't go in them anymore. I mean, yeah, I do I'm, a bunch of the Chrysler valve bodies and stuff like that. But yeah, well, yeah, yeah, shift really kits really and, and stuff like that. But yeah, to have three <laughs> techs out on the floor and they're all waiting on me to build them all a unit when they could all have one, be installing it. Yeah, the the it's like yep. it's nothing but what am I doing back here? Wasting my time when I could just have <laughs> upsold a reman and had them putting it back in. It don't make no damn sense at all. What am I doing? Yeah. <laughs> and it's all pride, you know, like, no, I can get it done. And then two out of, you know, one out of the three ends up with a leak or a problem. And it's like, great, pull it back out. And then you got to pay your tech to pull it back out for something you screwed up on. It's like, yeah, if I could find a builder, I would love to, then you can have two builders and there, but it's like, there's nobody building anymore. And it's just because yeah, and, just the same thought we just had right now is like, well, it, there's just, there's no money in it. What, yeah. Unless you're a huge shop and you're building units takeaway and you're building yeah. them for us to buy, <laughs> to install, you know, oh, then it doesn't yeah. make any damn sense. It's, 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 yeah, a, it's a dying breed. $3,000 for parts to do one of the new eight speeds. Like, yep. Wow. Like, come on. <laughs> and you're making what, 800 bucks on it? Like, yeah, eh, it's a lot of liability to have a drum take a crap and then, yep. you know, or one part is. be wrong because the parts guys don't know anything about these units either. You know, it's not yeah. like you got the good old boy, you call a part store on a Turbo 350 and it's like, hey, man, I'm going to need a rebuild on this. Okay, gotcha. And it's like, they don't just send you the friction module, they send you the bushings you need and the thrust washers. And it's like, they know what you're going to need to rebuild it. Nowadays, you, hey, can I get a rebuild kit? Uh, do you want the California kit or do you want the banner kit? Or do you want like, I don't know. Can you just, do you have like a standard thing that you can send me that replaces everything? A what? Can I get the everything kit? Like, yeah, the everything. On, you know, I used to have guys like that. I'd call and they're like, oh, hey, do you want the 
the TCC valve to do the repair for the 1870 code on the, you know, on a 4060. It's yeah. like, oh yeah, I do need that. Thanks for letting me know. I totally forgot about that. I have a thousand other things yeah. I'm thinking about. Thanks for being a salesperson, <laughs> you know, like, cause then you get it and it's like, oh, I forgot to order that stupid reaming kit, you know? Oh, and then, no. and then you got to wait another day and it's like, and that's happening now. It's like you order the stuff for an eight or nine speed and it's like, Hey, this didn't come with a filter. Your rebuild kits don't come with a freaking filter. Like, nope. Like, <laughs> okay, can you send me a filter? Cause I'm going to need that, you know, and it's a 10 yeah. speed. So you can't just buy one locally. It's like, you know what? <laughs> yeah. I, I learned a long time ago that, uh, pride, you just got to pride or money. Which one do you want? Yeah. Like the, the thrill of fixing the unfixable is nice, but for me, comes with a cost money in my wallet. My yeah. wife would rather go out to eat. <laughs> my kids yeah. would rather have nice bicycles. Like, yeah. So sometimes it's giving up the pride to get the to get the dollar. Yeah, let 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 that one problem child go and you know, well, the vehicle that's just kicking your butt, it's like, you know what? I gotta let this thing that, go. You know? Yeah, that was you, that yeah. was another thing that was a big difference too, was uh after a while I just told him like, look, some of these cars need to go through me before like we don't do anything 2000 in doubt. We're in the rust belt. Everything's crap here. I mean, we got 2012s that we send to the junkyard. They're so rusted out. Wow. So for us, it's like anything 2000 and older, I got to let them know, like, you need to talk to me first because we're probably not going to want to work on this. And I don't have a problem kicking a car down the road if it's not going to be a good job. Right. I mean, oh, I'm sorry. I've been to seven shops. Nobody can figure this out. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not that guy. Yeah, we're, we're going to be number eight. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, like let's just let's just be honest. You just need to take it straight to the dealer and drop it off and have them call you in three months. Like, <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, yeah. I mean, if you yeah. if you want to run a, a successful or profitable at least business, because yeah. you get the problem trials and they they somehow magnet they're magnetized to each other. So oh, you get the one, you get three in. more right after it. <laughs> like, oh yeah, I just had, I was, we're slow. I let one Volvo in the door. Next thing you know, there's 47 in the parking lot. You're going, what the heck? <laughs> we just worked on this guy. I just worked on this guy's like, no, we're done. No, they're, re- no. they're repopulating out there. What's going on here? <laughs> oh yeah. And, and I keep telling the guys, like one of the best things you could do to get a certain car in there. Like I love Subarus. So for me, when we get a Subaru, it's parked in the corner out by the road. Like, I want Subaru owners to see that and five or six is going to pop in in the next two days. Like they see a Subaru there, Subaru owners are just, oh yeah, hey, I found my shop. And yep. you just, boom, go for it. The little boom. things, man. It's Those are the little things that just, maybe a lot do think of it, but I think a lot miss. Yeah. It's the easy well, stuff like that. Work on, out by the road, advertising dudes, let them, let everybody see that you want to work on this. And everybody's like, they show pictures of their shop and they got a Corvette or a hot rod. They don't even work on them. Like, no, we have an Odyssey and an Outback. You know, that's the pictures of the, sh- of the stuff you want and advertise to your customers. Just yeah. I'm, I'm probably, I'm pretty guilty on. of that. We get, we get yeah. some classic cars in here. We have a classic car division and I like putting them out front and taking a picture of the shop. And it's, I'm pretty guilty of that. Cause it's like, I don't really want a whole shop full of classic cars. <laughs> <laughs> right but, but it makes but it a good picture attention. you know yeah. so yeah i'm yeah. guilty of that for Nova, sure i might park it out by the sign underneath the sign with the top down you look at the wheels turned a certain way you know 
you know, but he's got his 44. We, we park them to get people's attention because right beside that is an odyssey. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> like, come on, mom. Yeah, this is cool. Your kids are all yelling, yelling hey, mom. Hey, mom. Yeah, pull like, that's a cool. Yeah, but we don't work on those, just so you know. That was just to get you here. That, yeah, was, cl- yeah, that, was, click- that was clickbait, I think they call it. Yeah, that, that's my clickbait. <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs> it works. I've seen your website. I'm looking at all these cars going, oh, my God, I'm in love, but I don't want to do that every day. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a love-hate relationship. Sometimes we do pretty well with them, and sometimes they kick your butt a little bit. But, I mean, you can get a 2022 and 2021, and it kicks your butt, too. So I kind of oh, look yeah. at it that way, too. I get plenty of new vehicles that are just a big of a pain to get parts for and f- problem oh. and to, and to figure out versus a 1960 it's hard to get parts for that's not so hard to figure out there's not a whole lot to go wrong with it but you get my <laughs> point i mean it's like the same but different it's like parts are just as hard to get with these newer cars now you know yeah. um you know i can't get a warranty on them from the dealer and the aftermarkets don't have the parts yet so it's the same as the classics well i can't get a warranty on the parts but i can get them from summit racing you know the next day yeah. so I don't know. And then the usually the clients, the owners of the cars are a little more forgiving and they're just willing to spend money. They don't need this car. They want it yeah. and they want it to be nice and they want these disc brakes and they want all this extra stuff. So it's like, yeah, it's it's tough to say no to it because it's, it's for the most part pretty easy money and it's cool yeah. and I like it. Yeah. Like, so yeah. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's my problem. That's my passion. I got a '56 Pioneer Star Chief. I'm doing an LS1 swap in for a friend, and nice. within that, I have like five of them lined up. It's like, oh my god, for the next two years, I'm gonna be doing LS swaps on all these weird vintage cars. But it's my love and my passion. But it's what I do at the house. Is what I bought this shop for. It's the yeah. fun thing. It's you nice know. when they're done. Yeah. When you get that swap done, that's when, yeah, that's we, when we it's get nice. it all done. And, when you first start it and then when it's done. But in the middle there, it's like, oh, <laughs> why am I doing this? Yeah. And it seems like I get all the odd ones. Like nobody's ever done a swap in a Pontiac like this. So there's no kits. So everything's custom and it, it snowballed into like, I just want to make it a nice driver to, oh, crap. Now we're going to put 30 grand in this thing. It's going to be a show car. It's like, oh. So yeah, that that, hap- that that's the biggest problem I think with the classics is the end ends. Hey, since you're doing that, let's also do the no no no. Yeah. You came in, you came in for the disc brake conversion. We're gonna do that, and then you're gonna leave, and then we're gonna <laughs> reschedule you for this other fancy stuff you want to do. We're not doing it all at the same time. I just got roped into one doing that same thing as the LS swap and a '65 Pontiac, and it was the same. It's just kind of like, hey, let's throw some carpet kit in it. Hey, I want to do a floor shifter. Hey, let's do rims and tires. Hey, let's do it. It's like. Oh, how did this happen? I'm not restoring your car, but I am. How did this happen? It's funny you should say that because I got a 64 Tempest that was supposed to be just a disc brake conversion. And we ended up recovering the seats and putting carpet in. It was a bunch of wiring. And he's like, oh, what about swapping this? And I convinced him like, no, let's leave the original engine, original power glide. I'll make it run good. And he got to drive it and I convinced him to just leave it stock six cylinder so you can cruise it. Right. So, but yeah, he was all, it snowballed into this big, huge project. It ended up in my shop for like a month and a half. It's like, oh, I just wanted to go home. Yeah. <laughs> I, I want my shop back. Yeah. I, I, I have cars. Like, these, these custom yeah. fab guys that have cars for a year on end. And it's like, I just can't. How do you get there and just stare at the same damn car? 
for a year. <laughs> I don't know, man. I, I just can't do it. Like six months go by. It's like, this thing's got to go. Like I, yeah. we got to, this thing's got to get out of here. Whatever it takes yeah. for it to just, so I don't have to look at it every day I get here. <laughs> I can't do it anymore. <laughs> yeah. Your OCD that way. Yeah. That's the fun stuff though. That's, that's kind of what gets me going, but I know doing that for a business is just, it's hard guys that want to work on old stuff during regular business hours. Sorry. Instead of that disc break conversion, I can do two regular break jobs, be done in two hours, make just as much money. Yeah, that's true. Versus the eight, ten hours of running brake lines and modifying pedals and doing all this other stuff. Like yeah. take the stuff that makes you money. Find yeah. your specialty and run with it. Or or just cor- course correct. I mean, I've, I've made yes. my mistakes when it came to some of those too. And it's like, yeah, our early rate's higher for classics. That's just it is what it is. It's like $50 an hour more. That's just, yep. and then whatever we think it's going to be, we just, you know, double that, <laughs> you know? And it's like you said, oh, it's like, yeah. well, and it, you got to look at it like, well, if you're going to do that work, cause you like those cars like I do and you want to make, and you want to keep doing it and put, make it part of the shop. Like you said, what can you do in that time frame? So if, if you're running a 90 or hundred percent efficient shop, then you need to be able to say, okay, well, if I'm going to be working on this car for all day for eight hours, what's my potential loss? If I just lined yep. up break break job. So and that's how I've looked at it and that's how we quote them out. And it and it works out. I mean, sometimes, like I said, you don't always win, but yeah. you don't always win with a break job either. <laughs> you always have that one that comes back with a squeak or or they overheat the rotors and it's like, ah, oh, we'll take care of it for yeah. you. We understand you were driving with two feet for the last two hundred miles, but that's all right. We'll yeah. we'll just warranty your rotor anyway. <laughs> so that's okay. When you know? some you lose some, but it's yeah. an easier one to lose there. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> Well, this has been good, man. I'm glad you came on. It's good to meet you. This this is fun. Yeah, I was supposed to do another podcast for another guy, and uh, I didn't know if my setup was going to work, so I bought these expensive headphones and mics and all this other stuff. The mic just sounded reverberating. It sounded really weird. So, no, this is the quality. Sounds good. I can hear you good. And yeah, this is. I think this work out good for you. You doing any training events this year? Uh. I was trying to go to ASTE, but uh, with the shop I'm at, we started another shop in last year, about October. So they moved me in January this year. So it's just getting, you know, a shop from nothing built up to really good numbers. Nice. So I've been a little busy. Yeah, I can see that. And during COVID, my special needs daughter kind of, She's going to O'Reilly's Children's Hospital, and they kind of forgot about her for a while. So uh-huh. we're just now back into all the therapies and stuff. So it's got me moving 24-7. I mean, yeah. there's seven, eight doctors a week now. So I'm going to miss ASTE. Apex is just too much at this point. But yeah. I, I want to try to do vision next year. I want to try to do – I love training. Oh, you know, like John Thornton, Bill Fulton, all them guys. I've like 170 different classes. I love training. So hopefully I'm going to hit up Apex, ASD, and Vision next year. Cool. Yeah, I'll be, so, at, I'll be at Apex here at the end of the month. So I don't know if I'd run into you or not, but we'll just have yeah. to, we'll have to catch up next year. Oh, I'm going to try to do Vision next year. I don't know if I'll make it, but. Yeah, Vision was my, my first big show like that. I'd never done anything like that. You know, uh, I read about it in Ratchet Ranch, but you never, you don't really know what it is from that advertising till you go. 
It is life changing. It's rad. It's life changing. I'm excited these, to check that these out. Things are just it re it reinvigorated me. Like that's all I do all day. I put in one earbud, eight hours of podcast all day. I mean, that's all I do. I am training twenty four seven. It seems like. Yeah, so you have to. It's it's amazing. Stay on top. Stay on top of the game. You have to. <laughs> oh man, I, and I feel so dumb sometimes because I listen to guys like Fanslow and Mario and you know all these guys. It's like, dude, I am so dumb. But you know, they're the cream of the crop. These guys that teach us stuff and talk about it, they're they're on another level. It's just right. so much better, so much better than that I would ever expect to be. Well, and in this industry, it goes so many different directions that you can't yeah. know everything, but you get specialized in one area and yeah, you might be smarter there, but did you know this? And it's like, we all learn so much <laughs> off of each other that that's like, that's what the camaraderie is so important. And to be like, yeah, Hey, did you ever hear this? And then you learn stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I loved it for the networking point, just meeting all these guys that I hear and listen to. And it's like, okay, now I can finally put a face, you know, to the voice, that's uh, that's kind of it's kind of cool. So yeah. I, I mean, I met Hawk and Light. I don't know why I was like fangirling so big when I got to meet him at Vision. Like that dude is just so smart. Like I don't see electricity like these guys do. I I have to think about it. Right? Yeah, I, I don't think I don't think anything. anybody does. They're definitely on their own their own <laughs> level there. Yeah, for sure. I can fix it. It's gonna take a while. These guys, they just they see it and they just can picture this stuff. I'm like. I don't have a little magic marker, like following lines, and yep. I got to think about all this stuff and redraw it. And, yep. you know, so it's it's nice knowing there's guys out there that's helping the industry. Which twenty years ago there wasn't there wasn't nothing. Everybody was a competitor. You didn't do anything to help the guy down the street. Now the way these podcasts are and like what you're doing is so nice. Just to be able to listen and go, hey, I've been where that guy's been. And look at him now. Look how far he's come. It's just a huge, huge kick in the butt for guys to go, all right, cool. I can do this. You know, I've been there. I've been down. You know, this sucks. Like, I've been on the bottom. I've been on the top. You know, I did the magic million-dollar number everybody wants to go. Yeah. A little three-bay. And then, but I've also been at the bottom where, I didn't take a paycheck for a month or two. So it's nice that guys like you are letting other people tell their story and give hope to the little guy. I think, I think that's the most important thing. I mean, it's for me anyway, because I'm the same way as you. I just listen to podcasts and you feel like you're on your own island and you feel like no one else is going yeah. through what you're going through. And then once you realize everybody is, you, all I want to do is feed that information back to the ones that are starting out and make them because the sooner you realize there's guys going through the same or girls going through the same stuff that you're going through, you it's the quicker you get your feet back underneath you. You know what I mean? Yep. I, I love going online and just going on all these things and guys got a question, boom, here, do this, here, do this. I love helping people. Uh, I love changing the industry. Like I help everybody. Like I, it, I don't have a competitor. In my mind, I don't no. think anybody should be a competitor. Right. You run it your way, I run it my way. Hey, it's all good at the end. You need at the end of the day. Our job me. is to keep these cars on the road. Yep, that's it. Yep, not Bottom line. your customer, but you know your customer. Treat them right. Yep, treat them right. 
Well, this has been good, man. I appreciate you coming on. Hey, thanks. I absolutely love this. I, I was like so nervous, like oh. fangirling and stuff here for a while. Like, oh. <laughs> well, hopefully we can catch up soon. And I look forward to hearing you on, on the, the jaded mechanic, right? We'll see you on, Je- on Jeffrey's. Yep. Yeah. Okay. He, he, uh, he got, uh, we had something somewhat set up and then he just blew up. And, but I'm a small fry. I wouldn't expect him to get to me for a long time now that you and him have voices that just, they're like soothing and calming and <laughs> just, just like Jeff's very like good. He is very, very, he's, I talked to him at ASTE and I told him like, man, you really have like a vibe about you. It's like, we talked for like almost two hours. I was like, it's been two hours. Holy moly. You yeah. got, you got a vibe about you, man. That Canadian. Oh, man. <laughs> I, I, I remember posting a few things. Like people would ask questions. I'm like, you know, what's this, what's this in your shop? And I'd put it on there and dude, he would rip into me. Like it's no tomorrow. Like, dude, it's not my shop. Like I'm just saying, I'm just telling guys what they want to hear. Like yeah, yeah. he doesn't, he doesn't care. He'll let you have it. And I love that <laughs> him and Dutch, like, dude, just, just get straight to it. I'm a straight shooter. Like if something sucks, say it. Yeah. Something stupid, say it, you know, yeah. but he does that and then gives you a way to fix something. So it's really cool. Just something about the guy, man. I feel like we could be best friends. Like, <laughs> yeah, I think I think it's because he's a uh, he's Canadian. Yeah, they're very they're very polite. People. <laughs> he's so blunt and so straightforward in your face, but yeah, so polite about it. Yeah, yeah. Politely tell you like that's stupid. Don't do that. And then let's have a beer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Have a beer. Like, <laughs> well, cool, man. Well, have a good night, and I uh, look forward to seeing you soon. All right, cool. We'll see see you. If I'm ever out that way, I'll definitely stop by and say hi. Look me up, man. Heck yeah. Thanks. Thanks, buddy. Good night. See ya.